and welcome to 13, the podcast that asks questions of Colgate University community members. I'm your host, Daniel DeVries, and today I'm joined by Colgate men's basketball coach Matt Langell. Since being named Colgate's 20th men's basketball coach in 2011, Langell has led the Raiders to three NCAA tournament appearances, and Coach Langell is the winningest coach in Colgate men's basketball history. During his tenure, he has mentored two Patriot League Players of the Year, two Patriot League Defensive Players of the Year, two Patriot League Rookies of the Year, more than 20 All-Patriot League picks, six Patriot League All-Rookie selections, eight All-District honorees, and an AP All-American honorable mention. Langle is also the first coach in Patriot League men's basketball history to earn three consecutive Coach of the Year awards. That was in 2018, 2019, and 2020. And in each of those three seasons, Colgate set program records for single-season wins, going from 19 to 24 to 25. Nearly 20 former players for Coach Langle have played professional basketball. Langle is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, where he also played Division I basketball. Langle finished his collegiate basketball career with 1,191 points and 201 three-pointers, 11th in Ivy League history. After graduating, Langle played basketball for several European teams before returning to the States and becoming one of Penn's assistant basketball coaches. He then served as an assistant coach at Temple before joining the Raiders in 2011. Coach Langle, welcome to 13. Dan, great to be here. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here, and I, I feel like I have to start out with this here. Once is an upset, is twice a streak. Congratulations for your uh, two times uh, consecutive victory over Syracuse this semester. Why has your team been so successful against the Orange? Well, I don't know if you can say that we've been so successful against the Orange. Um, I think we didn't play the COVID season, so this was my 11th opportunity to coach in the Carrier Dome, and we've won twice. So. <laughs> twice in a row. Twice in a row. As my 8-year-old says, that is a streak. I don't know where you got that line, but he must have he must have got it from the same place. <laughs> um, I'm always curious about some of the behind-the-scenes things that go on uh, in athletics. And after you defeated SU... What did Syracuse head coach Jim Beheim say to you when you shook hands? I think just congratulations. I, uh, I'm i a big fan of Coach Beheim. Being here in central New York, obviously, um, you learn the culture of, of, of the orange. I also uh, watch his interviews and listen to what he said, and he couldn't have been more complimentary towards the team and the program afterwards, just how our guys play the game, how they attack the zone, how they move the ball. Um, and what they're capable of on the offensive end. So we're really appreciative of his remarks after the game. Nice. Follow that thread of uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit. Can we start and talk a little bit about recruiting uh, at a div- Division I um, school? How do you identify promising students? What's that process like for finding them, reaching out to them, and ultimately recruiting them to become Raiders? It's a really good Question, Dan, and in, in college athletics, recruiting any coach in, in any sport will tell you recruiting is the, the lifeblood of the, of the program. Uh, I think I got great advice uh, when I was becoming a, a head coach. Um, actually, uh, excuse me, I got great advice uh, from, from my mentor, my coach, Fran Dunphy, when I got into coaching, um, and we started to talk about recruiting. I, I know it from a, a student-athlete perspective, uh, being a prospective student-athlete and what you're looking for. 
Um, but he, he really kind of opened my eyes to the concept of when you're a coach, you, you need to recruit not just for yourself and your team, you're really recruiting for the institution that you work at. And so for he, he, us here at Colgate University, um, obviously we're looking for uh, somebody that wants to be here. I think first and foremost for us that that's the most important thing. Uh, they understand what a small liberal arts uh, college is all about. They understand classroom size and um, what faculty are, are, are how the faculty are going to engage them in the, in the classroom uh, each and every day. Uh, what it's like to live in Hamilton, New York. We, you know, much like our student body, we're recruiting across the country and um, really over the last decade, a few times across the globe uh, to find people who want to be here. You can't trick them into, you know, thinking that it's 70 and sunny all the time. They, they need to know what they're getting into and, and want to embrace that. Uh, and then the same goes for, for the basketball culture. Um, you need guys who are going to want to do what you're asking of them uh, as far as individuals, as far as uh, growth, as far as being a part of the team and sometimes doing things that maybe they would, they would not specifically want to do, but uh, they, they need to um, buy into the, the team over self uh, concept that, that our players embody. Hmm. So what do you tell prospects when they ask, what sets Colgate apart from other programs? How is Colgate basketball different? Yeah, I, I think we don't talk about other programs that often. I think we really talk about the unique um, opportunity and, and experience that exists here at Colgate University. Again, Division I college athletics, I think most people think of major research institutions and state schools when they're thinking about that. But for us to be a, a, a small school the size that we are, uh, in a community the size that we are, uh, but to have a basketball program that's now, you know, over over their recent knowledge and what prospects are looking at have have been the the benchmark for the Patriot League and competing for a championship and playing on the national stage and as you mentioned, beating Syracuse or winning at Cincinnati uh, a few years back. And so I think as young student athletes are are looking for something unique, uh, I, I hope that this resonates. It, not for everybody, obviously. Uh, but for, for somebody who's wanting that experience in the classroom uh, to be engaged with their faculty, but then also have that, that same relationship and, and engagement with the coaching staff and with teammates, I think separates us and, and makes us a really unique op option. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the support staff for uh, men's basketball? What kind of support do students receive as players, both um, through training, but also I'm thinking like medical and also uh, scholastically, do they get help uh, with their studies? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and one we get from from uh, parents of prospects all all the time, Dan. I think that um, you know when we're asking a young man or or, or offering them a, an athletic scholarship to come here and and be a part of our our basketball family and our university community. I think you know the commitment that we make to their parents is is not going to be easy. Uh, it is extremely hard work, um, you know, balancing two really rigorous uh, schedules of being a, a student at Colgate University, trying to do everything you possibly can to achieve your individual potential, and then turning around and and you know going from that full time job to your other full time job of of being an athlete um, and working like crazy to be the best basketball player and teammate and contribute to competing for championships. Um, so in, in, make, in asking that commitment from them, we, ha we make a significant um, reciprocal commitment, I think, that we, um, you know, we're committed to supporting them in, in that walk of life. I tell parents all the time that, 
you know, when you're handing your, your son over to us, I'm, I'm not going to tuck him into bed at night and make sure he brushes his teeth, but we're going to do everything we can um, to support him. So, you know, we have um, academic advisors specific for athletics. You know, obviously they, they have all the support that all Colgate students have, um, but they work closely with their administrative deans in um, working through our travel schedule. Um, the faculty is, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have a faculty that uh, values those individual relationships. So, you know, when you're going to be on the road on a Wednesday night in February, um, as the season winds down and, uh, you know, you're playing on CBS Sports National TV, you also communicate with your faculty member that, you know, you may not be in class that afternoon because, you know, it might be at the Naval Academy or somewhere like that arriving at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, to that note, they have, we have a terrific um, sports medicine support staff, uh, athletic training staff, uh, sport performance staff that that helps these guys uh, get their bodies ready and and you know prevent them from from injuring themselves as much as possible and recovery uh, is a big part of being an athlete in today's day and age. So you know every stop of the way, so to speak, our athletic administration is is always um, you know considering student athlete well-being and and what you know measures can we take. We have a, a nutrition center in in Reed Athletic center that, you know, they can stop in and get a get a protein bar before their practice or after their training or in between classes or what have you. So, you know, everything we possibly can be doing to support them and their experience. And um, again, we're asking them to achieve their potential. We, we certainly feel the commitment that we need to support them in that process. Can you uh, talk me through the lead up to a big game? So when do you start preparing to approach a specific team? Like, what does it look like as you're getting ready for, for game day? How And how many days ahead of time are you preparing for that specific game? It depends on what the schedule has to offer. Um, you know, ideal from a coach's perspective, you always have two full days to prepare. The, <laughs> I think coaches like as many days as possible. Players probably like to play as, play as many games as possible. <laughs> but uh, two full days is the normal preparation. So in leading up to that, uh, you're going to start to watch film uh, two days before of the the opposition's personnel is how we break it down, and then the day before some offensive and defensive tendencies. You know, working in those two days in your practice, you know, we don't overdose on on the opposition. Uh, we like to pay a little bit of attention to what they do and what their tendencies are, and and how we might uh, approach an offensive and a defensive game plan. Uh, but we really try and focus on ourselves. I think that um, our guys have done their best when. They're prepared for what they need to do instead of thinking about what others are, are trying to do. And so, you know, you practice those two days in preparation and put together the game plan and really just have the guys be be focused on, on you know, the specifics of, you know, like Syracuse, for example, you know you're, you're going to face zone. Um, and so, you know, we don't face zone many other times during the year. So you're a little bit more concentrated on your on your zone offense and, you know, different teams present different um, problems on the offensive end, and so you got to talk defensive strategy. Are you going to double team in the post? Uh, are you going to, you know, try and take away certain shooters and, and help more off of other players? But a little bit of that, but a, a large chunk of, um, you know, what we need to be doing in order to try and play our best. So it's game day. Do you have any specific game day rituals or superstitions? I'm not a very superstitious uh, person. I think you have your routine that you're kind of set in, um, you know, depending on what the time of day is and 
whether you're home or you're away, when, when we're home, our, our guys go about their academic schedule, um, you know, as, as normally as possible. Uh, some guys, you know, you try and if they want to watch a little extra film or, or get in the gym, then then you try and make that available on the road. You've kind of got all day. You're in a hotel. They're they're studying a little bit, but you know you might go to the the opposition's venue and get a little better feel for, you know, the backgrounds and the shooting environments and spend a little time just so they're not you know laying around a hotel all day long. Uh, we eat our pregame meal three and a half hours before the game. Get to the venue an hour and a half or or two if we didn't have the chance to to be there earlier in the day. And it's more about the players, you know, finding their rhythm and, and being in their routine. If, if they have superstitions that they need to follow, we'll do that. I, I make my game notes, you know, continue to prepare and, and review as much as possible, but you're just kind of waiting for that, that ball to go in the air and, and the guys to do their thing. Is that pregame meal very specific or is it kind of wherever you are, you go, uh, you know, to the local, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I leave I leave that up to the 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 rest of the staff and and our our sport performance and athletic training staff. I think you know you you have your your combinations and you know you're not you're not eating uh, um, a, a lot of hot and spicy or things that are gonna you know treat guys to different pretty bland meals, but got that enough carbohydrates and a little bit of protein and. Uh, but I also think that something that the guys enjoy, I think feeling good and and um, and enjoying the moment is is part of performing well. College athletics seems to be notoriously tricky to manage because your team's constantly turning over, um, you know, at very least every four years or so. How do you plan for those inevitable vacancies and what part do the players have in helping to acclimate new players? It's a really good question. It's one of the things I love the most about college athletics is that your roster is constantly changing year to year, um, uh, you know, four year to four year window. And I I think it keeps coaches um, invigorated. It keeps them motivated, um, you know, as you're on a campus. You know that the, the age of the players are not changing very much. They're staying the same as as we all get older. And uh, but I think you know you're you're constantly you know you have a, a recruiting board in your office and you've got the guys who are who are on your roster now that you're working with to maximize everything that they can be and the team can be, uh, but you're always planning a year out, a couple years out, um, uh, to see you know which positions are going to be available. You know we we've got a veteran front court right now. Well, that means in a couple years that those guys have played all the minutes aren't going to be here anymore, and so we need to be preparing for. Um, the next group that will come in and, and take those reins. To that note, um, I, I think culture is a huge part of, of successful programs. Um, you can be on a successful team, but to have a successful program, there's got to be that constant. And, and I think the best leadership always comes from the student-athletes, from the players. If the leadership has to come from from outside the, the locker room, excuse me, then it, it's it's only going to be – what it can be, but when it comes from their experiences, their motivation, um, and it can be learned from one another, uh, then there's a, a continuity that exists. And when the coach says that, hey, you represent so much other than yourself, there's so many others who have come before you and so many who are going to come after you. And so, you know, as you go about your day to day, you need to keep that in, in your mind and, um, and in your actions. And then when the players support that, um, it's that much stronger. Does the men's basketball team have a specific philanthropy or any community service that, that you guys do every year? 
the relationship with the community is a huge part of our program. I think when we're back to recruiting, when, when we're talking to prospective student-athletes and we're trying to paint the picture um, as well as we can of what, what life here would be like, again, we're, we're not trying to roll out the red carpet and, and present something that, that sounds good. We want to present what it really will be like. Um, I, I try and ask them as they're being recruited by a bunch of schools and hearing great messages from from a lot of salespeople in, in our, our chairs as coaches. Uh, I, I try and tell them for Colgate basketball to remember three C's. And so it's the classroom, the court, and the community. And, and we just want you to be your very best in all three. So the relationship with the community is is a huge thing. I think it's it's another example of what makes us unique here um, in at Colgate University. You have a small uh, campus community, so um, you know you you could walk around a you know a, 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 a state school that's you know gone to the Final Four and won national championships, and you know somebody sees this year's freshman basketball player and they're almost like a celebrity. Um, here at Colgate, I think that everybody's a celebrity at something in that they're they're excelling at at some walk of life in addition to their academics, or they wouldn't be here. And so being engaged in that university community is an important part. Um, you know, let everybody get to know who you are, not just as a Colgate men's basketball player. Um, and so that's something we talk about all the time. And then the the partner side of that is is Hamilton. Um, you know, <laughs> again, Division One college basketball in a, in a village of three thousand people is is unheard of. And so. You know, yes, they know you as the basketball player, but they also know what your order is at the bakery, um, or or the sandwich shop, or whatever it may be. Right, that wherever you go, um, the bookstore, they they kind of know who you are, but they also watch you play. And there's a big chance to get to um, meet the people, and so that's something we talk about now. Specific to philanthropy, like this fall, um, you know, a, a couple of the the leaders of our team came to me and said, hey, Coach, uh, Saturday we have this this great thing in Hamilton, um, the open-air market on Saturday mornings. And they said, "What? What? the end of the market, it closes like noon or one or two. And, um, you know, all, all the people who bring their, their stuff in to sell at the market, they got to pack up and go home, and there's a little bit of a mess left around. Do you think our 15 bodies could be used to help? And so, you know, we got in contact with the those uh, the, the local – you know, government who oversees the 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 village market, and and they said, yeah, absolutely. Well, let us ask the ask the merchants, and and they so our guys spent two hours just helping clean up and pack up, and you know, do the heavy lifting and and what have you. So uh, a couple weeks later, it was raking leaves of some people who didn't have some things. You know, Alzheimer's is something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, so every year we we have an Alzheimer's awareness game um, that we try and raise a little bit of money and. And bring attention to, but again, going back to the the leadership coming from within the group, I think it's much more meaningful when it's when it's their ideas. And um, but but community service will always be a, a huge part of Colgate basketball. Who are some of the coaches you look up to for inspiration, uh, either in professional or co- collegiate sports? And you know, I, you don't have to limit it to basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's anybody specifically. I, I obviously have my mentors, and I, I can name Fran Dunphy, who I played for, who you know is a, is an icon in Philadelphia. Um, my family is very close to uh, the Collins family. Doug Collins was an Olympian, and then coached the Chicago Bulls and Detroit Pistons and. 
Washington Wizards and Philadelphia 76ers for a number of years. So he, he's always been, um, you know, someone that is, has taught me a lot uh, and specific to coaching. But I think like any profession, uh, you're, you're trying to, to study, um, you know, anybody that can help you. And so sometimes that's studying uh, coaches that have done well. Sometimes it's coaching some, some thoughts and ideas that have not worked. Um, you know, I, I think you're always looking for best practice and, uh, I think we've got a great, great, uh, great coaches here at Colgate University. I mean, I, I coach Baker, Ryan Baker, our women's volleyball coach, who just won another championship. You know, we, we share the same facility. And so he's been here longer than me and, you know, just bounce different ideas off of one another. He coaches women, I coach men, just, you know, constantly trying to uh, improve your craft. Uh, I've done the same with, with Greg Fargo. And thinking back to when I got here, it seems like a long time ago, but in some ways, it seems like just yesterday. I mean, I was 34 years old, and there was this super successful head football coach named Dick Biddle, and you know he would walk around campus with his with his head down, and he's super intense, and you know I was almost in, he was almost intimidating, but I, I knew he had a lot of information that would um, that that would help a coach be successful. So just kind of trying to get ideas from him, you know, not necessarily always X and O's or or sport strategy, but just coaching young people and, um, you know, functioning on this campus in this community with the, all the different constituents that a, that a program needs to have in order to have the successes that, that they want. You played a little bit of uh, professional basketball in Europe, and I was curious as to a couple different things. One is how different is it from the brand of basketball played in the U.S.? And two, is there anything you took away from your time there that you find yourself, um, you know, using to this day. Again, don't let me forget both sides of this question. Okay. So I, uh, I'll speak to the the basketball experience. I think, you know, tactically, uh, strategically, the, the game can be a little bit different. Maybe from the, the what you watch on television. Um, you know, the the NBA is not really the same game that's played everywhere else in the world. Literally, the rules are different. Um, and, and the athletes are, are vastly different. And so the game, game is, is played in a different space. Um, the, the FIBA game, the international game that's played everywhere else, the, the rules force um, you know, more movement, more, um, more, uh, it's more of a chess game, more, more you know, attack, counterattack, like there's more changes that happen. Um, one's not necessarily better than the other. Um, you know, college is not the NBA either. So I, I think it's less for me, my experience there was less about, you know, changing the game, the, uh, adjusting to a different game, um, you know, more adjusting to the simple rule changes. Uh, but the bigger thing was the culture of, of basketball, as I know it, compared to basketball, as, as it was known in Europe. So it's much more on a, on a football or a soccer model in, in Europe in that you play a game within your own country usually once a week. Um, and then if your team is selected to play in an international competition, um, you may play another game during the week. So in basketball where, you know, professional basketball in America, you're playing two or three or sometimes four games a week. It's much less games, uh, over the course of an entire season and much more practicing. Uh, the other big difference for me was, um, the, the youth systems. So every professional team over there, they're, they're the professional organization. And then so to, to make their professional team the best it can be, they have basically minor leagues. So they have 
junior programs uh, and the players come up through the junior programs, they're not affiliated with academic institutions. So you, you play your sport for your club and your club has, you know, a building and that's it. And the, the club may be a sporting club, but it may have soccer and handball and volleyball and basketball. Um, but, but so as you're 15, 16 years old, if you're very good at your sport, you're being asked to, to move towards the professional ranks. Well, the, the professional sporting ranks has very little, if anything, to do with your, your studies. Oh, so to go to university on the European system and to continue to pursue athletics is about impossible. Oh, wow. So that really opened my eyes because, you know, growing up as I studied and I was motivated to, to do the best I could in sport and in school, I, I always, it was kind of a foregone conclusion that if you're good enough in, in a sport and you've done the work that you can do in, in school, you go on to play and study. Um, and so when I got overseas, I, I realized that young people like me from around the world, they didn't have that opportunity. So that was that was a unique thing that we have here in North America to, you know, pursue both passions of life and not have to make a decision at such an early age as to what what, what you want to try and do. Interesting. That makes sense because you always hear about like club teams. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the second part of that is, is there anything you took away or is there any play style or really any kind of approach to the game that you took away from that time over there that you apply here? Both. I think that we're, we're all a, um, a result of our experiences and what we take from those experiences. So, I mean, I, I had no idea what I was doing at 21 to 24 or five years old, I, but I was living in Geneva, Switzerland and in France and a little bit in Germany and then um, you know, two years, an hour outside uh, Amsterdam. <laughs> and so I had all of these life experiences and, and perspective that I didn't know at that time would influence me now. But, you know, you get a chance to look back and, um, and think about all that you've been through, you know, as you're trying to, to teach young people. And, and all those experiences played a part in, in, in my outlook and an and approach to trying to get people to value and understand the moment that they're in. Um, specific to basketball, yeah, it's the same as every other part of my, my basketball career. Um, we, we steal from everywhere we go, and, and I think all the best coaches do. And so uh, certainly there were and there continue to be, you know, team European coaches and styles of play and um, you know, different X's and O's and, and, and tactics that, that we employ on, on our offense, uh, most specifically to try and try and get every advantage we can. You know, we have the uh, third century planet here at Colgate. And, uh, you know, as the university has entered its third century, there's a whole bunch of things going on on campus and a, a lot of new initiatives and a lot of um, kind of focused energy. And, and part of that is athletics. Uh, and uh, a future renovation to Reed Athletic Center. Curious as to what you think about uh, or what you may be excited about um, in the years ahead here at Colgate. I'm excited a lot about a lot, Dan. Um, I think specific to Reed renovation, I, I, I'm going to, I mean, there's the obvious immediate impact it has on your day-to-day -day life. Um, <laughs> your office is going to look different. You might see the, 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 whether it's sunlight or dark outside or, um, you know, the, the space that the student athletes will have, you know, they, they spend so much time working at, at their craft of sport to have, you know, the, the, the shiny things that we have not had will be, will be nice for them. 
Uh, bigger picture, though, I think um, I, I'm most pleased with the the, the statement that it makes, um, not only from our, our institution and our current leadership, uh, but from our alumni and and those who are supporting this this project, the trustees and everybody who holds uh, Colgate near and dear to their heart. Just the statement that how valuable athletics is and and how much. Um, those people want to support our future student athletes and our and the and the futures of our programs to to take on a project of this magnitude is is a lot and um, you know to do it uh, at a school the size of ours in a community the size of ours uh, makes a big statement to the value um, that athletics can have on on a student athlete uh, but also on a campus and on on a, a community and on the spirit of an institution. You get a lot of alumni support, um, both uh, here in Hamilton, but when you're traveling. Uh, for sure, you know I, we we obviously have our alumni that that are here uh, have chosen to come back because they love Colgate so much and and make this home, whether it's in retirement or to to work and be a part of this institution or the community. Um, but also those who 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 travel back. Uh, I think you you feel the impact much more so when we're traveling. Um, not that there are tens of thousands of people, you know, you, you just watch Syracuse play a game in, in, uh, in Brooklyn and the stands are all orange, not that the stands are, are packed in maroon, but um, when you see somebody in the airport, when you have Colgate basketball on, they, they always make a point to stop and, and share their story and their connection. Um, I can't tell you, you know, the times we've played in the NCAA tournament, I've gotten text messages and emails and and phone calls of just how much pride, you know, alumni had to be in their hometown, um, to be watching the game at a local sports bar or going to the office the next day and, you know, wear their Colgate hoodie and, and people to say, man, wow, I, I had to look up Colgate University and uh, for such a small school, like they, those guys did, did a heck of a job and, and congratulations on the season. Um, and then it it has been you know we the most recently we lost to Wisconsin in in the city of Milwaukee in a twenty thousand seat arena and I think seventeen thousand fans had to be rooting for the Badgers, but our our couple thousand of Colgate alum that had traveled you know far to be there for that for that event to ex- experience it, um, they, they made a lot of noise and uh, I, I think that that goes a long way and I think it speaks to the the power of of Colgate. We're at the thirteenth question. You made it to the end. Since you've been here in 2011, what are you most proud of um, in your tenure so far? Or what um, changes have you made to the program that you're most proud of? Yeah, the, it's a good question, Dan. And the way I way I think of uh, my job is I'm the caretaker of Colgate men's basketball. And so, um, you know, it was here long before I, I got here and it will continue to be here uh, long after. And so... While I'm the head coach, uh, I, I want to make those that touch Colgate basketball feel good about it. And so the most important people are the student-athletes and the ones that we have right now. But that being said, there's a, a, a long line of former Colgate men's basketball players, and I, and, and I hope a great future of Colgate men's basketball players. So when those parties get connected, as our groups have been able to do and, and – um, and bring back a sense of pride from those that have come before them. I, I think that's extremely rewarding. I, I also want to um, talk about the the university and the and the Hamilton community that have uh, 
um, been so supportive of our program to to see, you know, over what I know to be, you know, a decade is a significant amount of time in in coaching. Um, to watch those relationships um, from the players to the community, from the players to um, the university community, to have the support that we do. Our record at home is um, is really remarkable, and I think a large chunk of that is uh, because of our fan base. And, you know, I don't think Cotterell Court was always the, the greatest home court advantage when you would ask my, my peers at the Patriot League institutions, but now I think – for sure, they would say, man, the hardest place to go in, in the conference is is to Hamilton, New York, and not only make that trip, but to, to play against the Raiders and have those fans, you know, making a ton of noise. So I think the, the combination of those things is, is what I feel the best about. Coach Lango, thank you for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Dan. Tell your friends and family about the show. If you have questions, email 13 at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number. And until next time keep asking questions. Thirteen is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications and Events. Episodes are recorded on campus in Lathrop Hall. Executive producer, Colgate Vice President for Communications and Events, L. Hazel Jack. Producer and host, Dan DeVries. And audio production by Brian Ness. Learn about all the happenings at Colgate at colgate.edu, colgatemagazine.com, and colgateresearchmagazine.com. 